0: Hi, everyone. It's your host, Dina McKay, back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. Today, I'm being joined by a phenomenal writer and the founder of The Plug Daily, Sherelle Dorsey. So let's get it. Hello,
1: Sherelle. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on the show today.
0: Of course, of course. So, Sherelle, you created the plug and i'm not sure if everyone's familiar so let's just start off with what do you do exactly absolutely so
1: by by trade i am a tech journalist and the plug um, the plug is the daily tech newsletter that highlights and covers founders investors and innovative innovators of color um, in the tech news and so every single day we curate um, the top tech news stories that feature people of color. So that's, um, we were just, we just turned a year old. Um, I launched the concept last year, just sort of as an experiment to really see our journalists, um, you know, is the media really covering the accomplishments, achievements, and also about leadership of Black um, founders. And um, just in my own research as a, as a tech journalist and working on stories, I knew that I personally was trying to contribute to the effort, and I would see these stories come in far and few between. And so wanting to document that, and then also for folks who are interested in, interested in seeing um, some of these more visible players in the tech space, I thought it would be a great service to provide these updates monday through friday as you know as we're all typically reading the news for the day um you can also read about you know what people of color in tech are doing as well
0: and that's awesome from my perspective of being a person who does work in the tech industry definitely feel that it was a niche that was missing for a long time and so you say you kind of started the plug as an experiment when you started the plug what I guess what were some things that you were seeing when you started, especially with regards to reporting in the tech industry?
1: Yeah, I think just kind of getting started early on, we were right in the thick of the media media frenzy around tech's lack of diversity. And so it seemed that every news story was about demonizing tech companies for not having enough people of color on their teams or not really quantifying who was on their teams or not having – women in leadership positions and so um over the last probably two to three years that's really been the storyline and studies have come out companies have made concerted efforts towards things like diversity training or hiring a chief like diversity officer um and doing sort of all of these i think feel good initiatives to make us feel as though we are really giving people of color and tech an opportunity um and for me i think it was doing a disservice to having the larger conversation on how are what is the language that shapes the way that we report and cover innovators of color because it's beyond the storyline of oh you know this person is least likely to get funded and this person is least likely to be you know in silicon valley like they're an anomaly um and that might be true but at the same time i think that when we're playing around with data and numbers we have to very very we have to really be careful on our on the way that we we um we provide the narrative and i just felt there was a responsibility missing there from um journalists to really dive into now how do these people's stories um fit into the larger conversation around who's creating what in tech in um, the future of all the things that we're thinking about, right, like artificial intelligence and, um, and and augmented, you know, reality and mixed reality and sort of how are these, I think, larger, you know, high level um, technologies going to play a factor into our world, um, especially as we look at the future of jobs, the future of education, um, the future of our cities, the future of affordable housing, I just felt that We were getting distracted from, I think, the necessity of not just talking about the disparity, but also talking about the opportunity and highlighting people within and beyond Silicon Valley who were doing awesome work um, around connecting these ideas.
0: Right. And I know you're in the Charlotte area. And when people think of tech, the first thing that comes to people's minds is Silicon Valley or even, let's even go Miami, where Black Tech Week is. Charlotte seems to kind of be not a city you would first think of when it comes to tech. So, From your perspective, has being based in Charlotte and having the plug there kind of made a different perspective when it comes to the tech industry?
1: Absolutely. So I'm actually originally from Seattle, Washington. And so, you know, I grew up like on the Microsoft campus, you know, around the Amazons mm-hmm. or what have you. And so um, I think, you know, each city kind of has its own Way of contributing to the environment. So, tech for me wasn't really Silicon Valley. It was sort mm-hmm. of right down the street from my house, and I had that privilege. When I moved to the South um, almost three years ago from New York City, I actually just felt that there's a, there's a way that we kind of think about Silicon Valley. It's, it's very almost experimental, it's um, shiny, it's, it's um, you know, Steve Jobs, and I think these caricatures mm-hmm. of people who are just like, Kind of insane, you know, they work all the time, they make a ton of money, they're 20 something, and they have hoodies, and they're paying crazy amounts of money in rent. and I think that we've really characterized Silicon Valley as a place that is far different from the rest of the country. Um, and so with that said, you know, coming to North Carolina, I also know that North Carolina is home to some incredible schools, um, everything from HBCUs like North Carolina and T, which graduates some of the top engineers um, black engineers in our country. To Duke Mm -hmm. University, um, to the Raleigh-Durham area, I think being a great sort of feeder um, employment uh, pipeline uh, within tech. Um, So I I didn't have any misconceptions about what Charlotte was. Um, Mm -hmm. I I did think that the talent is is there. I think tech in cities outside of Silicon Valley is is different, right? I mean, you know, I'm in tech, and I don't I don't have you know an engineering background or a software development background. Um, and so technology is expansive in its definition and it's broad in its definition. So for Charlotte, there are tons of people who are, you know, working in various forms of the technology industry. Um, it's not packaged in the same manner that maybe Silicon Valley is. You don't get the, the, the wealth of startups that Silicon Valley has. Um, but you still have industries that require highly technical people. So that's why, you know, Charlotte has, is the number two banking industry, industry capital um, in the country after New York City. So we have the Bank of Americas, We have the Wells Fargo. At one point, we had Wachovia, what have you. And so you know those are the biggest industries and corporate entities that help to propel African-Americans in particular into the middle class in this city. So you know, again, you know, I came here just approaching it, you know, realizing and knowing that there's a high skill level talent when we look at folks who are in, you know, uh, finance, people who are in data analytics. Those are highly technical banking skills um, that are applied to this industry. So though it doesn't look like Silicon Valley, you know, Charlotte is not new to um, to what I what I believe is you know a sort of highly educated population of of, of professionals.
0: Right, and I personally can speak to, I know some Aggies who are in North Carolina, so I understand. <laughs> and what I love that you touch on is everyone's mindset is kind of in that package mode, where if it's not from Silicon Valley, then it's not tech. And I love that what the plug does and what you just spoke on was not everything comes in this perfect little package that says, you know, I can program, so I'm tech it comes in different ways and forms. If it's not financial, then there's also, from your perspective, the tech journalist. And so I wanna take a step back and kind of ask, how did you get into tech? What made you want to become a tech journalist?
1: It's it's really almost a full circle. So, you know, as I mentioned, being from Seattle and kind of living on the Microsoft campus, I was part of an incredible program in high school called the Technology Access Foundation, which um, taught taught high school students um, how to code during the school year, and we learned various program, programming languages each year, and then during the summers, we completed internships. I did all four of my internships at Microsoft, everything from being on the marketing team to um, managing a, a lab, and um, then also working on animated tutorial um, graphics for, for an internal company product. So there were sort of, you know, sort of early on, that early exposure, um, aided me when I went off to college um, and studied marketing um, especially just on the brink of social media so being able to you know kind of go in the back end of, pre- of WordPress at my you know intern internship and being able to help manipulate the website um, you know from prior learning of HTML those are kind of the skills that were always adaptable um, for me and I think that one of the things that I saw starting to converge, especially like 2008, 2009, when I was preparing to graduate from college, was really this idea around like the, the industry opening up um, as a route to, um, to business without all of the barriers. So, you know, folks were starting blogs, I had a blog myself, um, and it was kind of easier to access and to leverage some of that content that we were creating, you know, as a way to start, you know, positioning ourselves almost as experts. And so the more that I started to write and also look at how can I be um you know how can I be helpful and useful in in terms of uh you know predicting and sharing information about some of the challenges in our communities in ways that I see other I see entrepreneurs um in you know my community solving those problems it just became sort of this this easy way to start writing more and more about it um and then once I started to get serious I started to pitch editors on things like Um, uh, uh, Barack Obama had appointed Van Jones um, who wrote the green color economy you know to the green jobs initiative at the White House and I remember reading that book and then writing a story for Black Enterprise about like this is going to be the way you know this was probably like 2013 when I wrote this article like this is going to be the way for people of color to get into the technology industry and as a route to reducing poverty in our communities um, and then also helping our community. So just early on, I was trying to apply the information and in, in research that I was um, that I was looking at to writing and, like, trying to get the word out. And so it was just out of pure passion that I really got into journalism um, and then started taking it more seriously through the years, um, you know, and that was on a freelance basis. So I've written from, for everyone from Fast Company to The Root to um, Next City and some other smaller publications like Triple Pundit. Um, as well as just things that I've written on my own blog, and then of course now the plug. And I think one yeah. of the challenges that, yeah. And so I think one of the challenges that that's always just presented itself is, you know, really getting into the nitty gritty of helpful things. I think we've gotten to be a society of listicles, and I've always argued for we can have deeper stories told about what we're doing um, to really inspire people to think about how can I see myself in tech, how can I see myself in, you know, this industry where I can, you know, essentially, you know, be, you know, be pulling myself out of poverty um, through these new trends that are happening in tech. So um, so that's, that's kind of how everything
0: got started for me as a tech journalist. So you had the marketing and the journalism background. And as someone who, you didn't take the traditional route of, you know, being in tech, getting like an information systems degree or computer science degree. So for someone who would be interested in being a tech journalist, what are some skills and some methods that you could suggest for someone who's interested in that field or taking that route
1: i think to start writing i also worked in tech um you know i again i wasn't a developer i had a formal background but i was a marketing manager for uber for a year and a half or almost a year and a half here in charlotte mm-hmm. you know I, I worked on a contract with google fiber um again you know mm-hmm. i had those internships at microsoft so i was always within the industry um, so I had some of that insider knowledge and interest and access. Um, and then also I did things like attend conferences, you know, um, especially when you're, a, if you're a student, like go and say, Hey, I'm a student. I want to volunteer. You know, that helps you to expand your network. And that also helps get you in the room so you can understand what are the latest trends. You know, when I was at FIT for undergrad in New York city, we had ad week come to our, um, come to our, they hosted their conferences on my campus. So I would always get in. And on a student discount or a student, you know, free 99 situation and just sit there and listen to all these executives talk about the future of YouTube, the future of consumer driven marketing. Um, And so those are the things that I could speak to because I had that firsthand experience. Um, And then also, you know, I was able to sort of track and find out what was going on in the industry. I mean, today it's like. We have such an incredible wealth of information. You subscribe to subscribe to newsletters like theplugdaily. dot com to stay in the know, and you continue to use that information to then like draw your own conclusions. We have LinkedIn, you have Medium, you have you have a blog that you can really write your thoughts. Um, I think it's less more less about the technical aspects of the tech industry that folks should be writing about, and more of like what are going to be the implications. And so, um, right. so I would just say, you know, the best thing is like you know prove yourself by you know having a platform that you're regularly contributing to and then start pitching you know build up your following i think that's the best way i didn't have a formal approach there's plenty of online sites that will show you and t- talk to you about how to craft a pitch um and and once you start shooting that out to editors and to publications that you know you respect and that you read you know the worst thing that someone can say is no but a lot of times you know editors especially if your work is good um, they'll say yes, but, you know, pick a beat. I I honestly, I picked a beat. I was always interested in these awkward, obscure sort of storylines of, you know, kind of everyday hometown heroes that were, you know, solving issues like, you know, um, creating cool tech incubators in the hood and, you know, and, and teaching kids how to code, like the program I came out of in, you know, in the early 2000s. Um, And so that was kind of my niche. And then, you know, if you choose, if you're, if you want to write about tech,
0: like bring something different to the table. And that's what the plug seeks to do every day. I love that because so many times, you know, you obviously, like you mentioned before, first off, we're on information overload. Everything is on your phone. Everything is an email. Everything is on the Internet. You just information is taken in all day. And I know I'm a subscriber to the plug, so I know that you guys bring unique information every day. It's not the same stories that you would see on TechCrunch, for instance. So everything is unique, and it's people that you would have not heard of before. But one interesting thing you also said in your last statement was build up your following. And for some people who just honestly not everyone has that skill or the knowledge to know how to build up their following, what are some tips you have for them regarding that?
1: You know, I'm a big proponent of, there's so many resources on the internet, so many awesome people that you can connect with that have great tips. And, you know, the one thing that I did when I first started the plug, like, I didn't have any money, to like, at all. I had no money. I had no coins to, like, hire a marketing team, you know, just the strength mm-hmm. of my relationships and sharing my vision with others. I was able to get, um, I was able to have some friends who volunteered to help me with, you know, Hey, like here's a person that you can, you know, find to do your logo or here I can, you know, create some of the graphics for the newsletter. Um, I use simple tools like MailChimp and good bits and things early on. And then just the strength of my own writing. Like I put out, I put out the plug every single day, Monday through Friday, well maybe give or take some holidays every single day for eight months, you know, before I actually was able to, you know, cultivate enough, um, enough, following and um and advertising to hire someone to do it for me um but that was a lot of me also learning what are the new tools out there you know when i publish how do i connect this to my twitter and to my facebook how do i tell my story whenever i'm out in the street and, and people ask me what i do i'm a tech journalist i run theplugdaily.com and people ask you what that is and you can talk about what you're doing um, and then having it in your email signature you know people know what your platform mm-hmm. is Those are kind of the easy ways to start building your following. And then, you know, with Instagram and all of these great social media tools that we have, you constantly want to be talking about what you're creating, why you're creating it, what your passion is. And I think that when that comes through and people start to trust the authenticity of your brand, then I think that you'll continue to have this organic following. And when folks start to say, hey, this is someone that I believe in and
0: support. Um, you know, then you'll you'll see that traction start to build up. I completely agree. And one thing I want to touch on. So you said, you know, eight months. There were times where you had, you know, your money was a little low, but you didn't stop. And I know a lot of times right. when people are starting to build things, the first thing that scares them is money. So what kept you motivated and knowing that you were going in the right direction, even though financially it wasn't showing it?
1: Oh my gosh, that is the that is the best question I've ever. Heard. <laughs> that's a hard question. I think it's true belief in that I'm contributing something of value and that I am very passionate about what I do. And I'm very passionate mm-hmm. about the language that's being used to describe what we're doing. You know, I grew up I grew up attending, you know, attending these coding classes Um, you know, in an organization that was built by a retired Microsoft millionaire who happened to be a black woman, who happened to be a lesbian, who had like all of these labels on her and decided that I want to give back to young people that look like me. And I just thought about the times that, you know, everyone kind of has to push through if, if they feel like they're creating something valuable and something impactful, um, And there's sometimes too where I'm all about self-care. Where you may not get, you know, you you may have not gotten an email from me that day. It might have been a weekend, and I might have taken Friday off and Monday off just to like go back and reevaluate. These are my goals. And then sometimes I'll tell you this, you know, like I will sometimes literally sit and, and ask myself, Sherelle, if no one ever acknowledged you, gave you an award, asked you to be on a podcast or on television. Would you be creating what you're creating? And my answer is yes every single time because it has to be. This is not for Sherelle to be, you know, to get the recognition or the acknowledgement while I understand the importance of it. I also understand like when I think about my little cousins who are graduating from high school this year and they're going into college and into a workforce that is very uncertain, I think about the resources and and the um the opportunities that exist before them and Then being able to visibly see brown folks that look like them doing some really incredible things. Um, So those are the things that kind of drive me and push me. And then I think also I have to reassess my strategies because I feel feel like if I'm hitting a brick wall, then I have to sit back, maybe speak to some mentors, perhaps um, take a look back and recalibrate what my goals are. Because if if I'm hitting a brick wall and it's not because of burnout, it's not because I'm just tired or I'm out of ideas. It's really like, is my business strategy still accurate? Do I need to make modifications so that, you know, I can, you know, really leverage this opportunity to build relationships that will lead to revenue streams? Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I try to get through all of that.
0: Right. And I'm going to touch on a little bit because you mentioned, you know, sometimes you're working on something and it just you're hitting that wall. Something does not work and usually, and I'm not sure if you call it this as well, but sometimes you have to make that pivot. What makes you, when, you're, when you hit that point and you have to make that pivot, what motivates you to take the next step even though it's not your original idea? Because I think about, I
1: think about the people that I would let down. You know, we have thousands of subscribers mm-hmm. now. And I think about if I don't make this pivot, I'm going to A, run out of cash, and then I'm going to have to get rid of my team. Um, and then B, I'm going to have to do all the work myself and I don't have the capacity for that. So I have to think about what are the implications if I don't pivot. Um, I also have to get out of my own way and really think about, like, I have I have friends that I've literally met on Twitter and they have been so influential and helpful in my business and giving me strategies and tactics, everything from how to best advertise to um to, you know, having a personal website that really talks about my passion behind what I've created. And, you know, people who are just, you know, light years ahead of me intellectually, and they have, they're running amazing brands themselves. And so being able to filter through them and for them to be able to be on the outside looking in, you know, I take, I take that kind of advice, you know, I try to, I try to take it, of course, with a grain of salt, but a lot of times it helps me to really get get out of my own way and to say, well, maybe they can see something that I can't see. And, and if I try this, let's just try it. You know, like I said, I started the plug as an experiment. So it's like from week to week, I'm tweaking, I'm changing things. I'm changing send times. I'm changing social media strategies. You know, that's the great thing about having a small team is that you're always able to pivot. And then, you know, we're journalists. So at the end of the day, like we have to look at metrics. So If I look at metrics by the end of the week or every day, of course, I'm checking and making sure how many open rates are we getting, how many times did somebody click on that title or that image, how many people forwarded the email. Those things tell you right away what's working and what's not working. So, you know, I don't really have the, I don't even have an excuse to be ignorant, right? Like, (laughs) I uh, I have numbers in front of me at all times so i right. know that if i am aggressive with my social media strategy or aggressive with my messaging and posting to linkedin and attracting a new audience i'm going to see those sign ups you know increase by 20 to 30% like that's evidence <laughs> so so the pivot um the pivot happens almost you know daily to weekly um depending depending on things but i i I'll, I'll say this i've gotten much more comfortable with being okay with proving myself wrong and experimenting
0: interesting thing that you just mentioned was kind of meeting people online and that's kind of how we connected with social media but let's talk a little bit about actually connecting with the right people on social media obviously again you're open to the whole world everyone can see what you're doing once you enter into the social media world how do you find your tribe online how did you find the people that were giving you this, this great advice that's a good question I think, you know, I I think as a
1: journalist first, I find those individuals who are typically connected to people that I'm already connected to, um, I find out what, you know, those folks are also talking about, who they're talking about, how they're talking about things. And, you know, typically I will, you know, reach out because chances are I'm working on a story and I get a chance to interview them and really get to know their work. Um, And a lot of times, I think I've really developed that journalistic skill of, like, being able to detect BS. And so the good thing is that um, I I usually try to look for qualifiers that this person, A, knows what they're talking about, you know, B, um, they're successful in whatever that means for them particularly, um, and then C, that, you know, they're showing evidence that their work is real um, and that they're passionate about it. And so, you know, I think it just kind of comes through a variety of, you know, hey, like I'm, you know, I'm part of this group or someone reached out because they read something that I wrote or, you know, I've been connected. A lot of times, a lot of times people will say, hey, Cheryl, I met this person at this conference and I want to connect you with them. And it's literally just like an email intro. Um, and that's how my network just continues to grow. Um, the other thing is just the way that I've branded myself. A lot of people will bring these folks, you know, and then at the bottom of the newsletter every day, we always ask folks, you know, you know, who do you know that's working on something really interesting in your community? You know, send us, send them our way. Um, So it never ceases to fail that at least a couple of times a week, people are introducing us to new, to new folks and faces and organizations and initiatives um, that we're able to then start tracking and following. Um, So it's, it's really an ecosystem, I think, of, of different connections and just having that that online presence has really helped to increase that.
0: Awesome. So hopefully some of the listeners will take some of those tips and maybe grow their network a little bit and start meeting new people. So I want to touch on what's actually in the plug newsletter for people who aren't subscribed yet but who will obviously subscribe after this conversation, listening to this podcast. Well, So what, let's tell the listeners what exactly goes into your newsletter.
1: Oh yes, this is my favorite part. So the newsletter is curated every day. So we typically feature the top five news stories. We call it our hit list. Um, we feature we feature the top five news stories um, across the web, uh, featuring people of color. So we're aggregating these news stories from other outlets. Um, and we'll have a small blurb. We'll have some image. We'll have an image, um, and we'll we'll point you to the publication that has written that story. And the intro to the newsletter, you'll typically get an insight. Um, either from my editor, Tyler Young, or from myself um, about the tech industry as a whole. Um, perhaps we attended a conference or what have you, or we have some, something special um, going on with the plug um, or we're conducting a survey. Um, but typically we try to share our life in tech um, and just really sharing, you know, sort of how we're engaging and interacting and how, you know, we're showing up as thought leaders in the space ourselves. Um, And then at the end of the newsletter, there's always a section called leads and opportunities. And we'd like to point people toward either speaking engagements that are looking for people to submit themselves to great conferences, um, you know, opportunities to attend conferences or events um, that, you know, are, are great tech events or developer events or what have you, and also even, you know, job opportunities and announcements. So part of our philosophy is that the way that we also diversify tech is not just through Um, Through training and education, but it's also like us having to be better, I think, proponents of our own PR, you know, so if, Mm -hmm. if, if a conference is saying submit, you know, here's submissions open for speakers, like we all need to be submitting ourselves for those conferences so that we can be seen, you know, on that, on that, um, that conference flyer or on that, you know, conference website. Um, so that, you know, we are touching different different bases so that diversity isn't just the job of other folks feeling like we need to let you in, but it's us literally saying we want this seat, so let's, you know, let's go ahead
0: and, and make sure that that, um, that folks are on, you know, our radar. Right. And I love that you have that component to your newsletter because rarely when you get a newsletter to your inbox, are they actually giving you an opportunity for you to share your resources? So where else can you really get that? So, in your newsletter, obviously, you share different types of stories, but what are some of your favorite types of stories to share with everyone?
1: I always love the stories when people have raised millions of dollars um, for their their app or for their business. I just always think it is such a huge feat when you are able to not just create an idea and grow it, but then convince people to give their hard-earned money to you. I think that is just such a magical thing. I mean... Of course, Silicon Valley is supposed to be the, oh, this person came in with a PowerPoint and walked away with $5 million valuation before even doing anything. And that's just not the same when it comes to black founders. Um, you know, it's it's a, it's a challenging process to get access to venture capital. Um, and we know that just based on, you know, the report. So when you see a, a, you know, a brown person getting like some real money. Um, I just love to share those things, and those are actually usually our most open newsletters. Um, people like to know when, you know, such and such company has raised money or has been been acquired. The other the other kind of story I really like to share is really about um, when celebrities are doing things within tech. You know, be that becoming venture capitalists or starting training programs. Like I think Neil just opened up a coding program. Um, Karen Civil, who's very popular these days, has opened a coding program in Haiti, and I think that, of course, there's like a publicity component to it, but I think that when you have people using their influence to help, um, to help, you know, drive impactful change from a social perspective, I think that's important, you know, I think it, I think it says a lot about that person's character besides like, oh, I'm fly, look at me on Instagram, on my boat, you know it says that they're in touch with the reality that not you know everyone has access you know to quality education or opportunity um and so i i really love those kinds of stories
0: and then from the other side has there been stories or there's certain types of stories that are kind of hard for you to share i guess that kind of touch your emotions or you know pull at your heartstrings i um I think what's
1: becoming difficult to share is just more of these stories on, you know, robots kind of taking over our jobs. Um, and then even as a journalist, right, there's there's um, this whole issue around fake news and also like automated journalism. Um, so you always look at how is my role going to change um, in, in the next couple of years? Um, but then also just the reality of, You know, we're innovating quicker than we are solving problems, um, particularly for folks like the other, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the car rental um, counter at the airport um, as I was traveling, and there was a kiosk where I could scan my driver's license and swipe my credit card and just walk to my car and take off. Like, I did not have to interact with a human being if I did not want to. And that was a very real reality that for every you know machine, there are two to three people who do not who no longer have access to a job, and that's a real reality, you know. And I and I think that our young folks today, I think those who are not being steered into um, mentorship or, or folks who are guiding them into really thinking about. You know what does what are they what are their what is their education needs and their their work needs in a twenty first century economy? I'm very frightened for them, you know because the value of being a cashier at like a family dollar is gonna to continue to decrease. there's gonna be no fight for a fifteen dollar minimum wage if you can get a robot to you know do everything so that troubles me, but I also know how
0: important it is, so we we don't shy away from sharing those kinds of stories. Right. I mean, and that's even just the whole thing with department stores recently. You know, all these stores, not just department stores, but any a lot of clothing stores are closing because everyone's turned to online realtors. And it's kind of scary because it's like if everyone keeps doing kind of what I'll call the digital thing and, you know, going online, paying online, doing things online, where does that leave us when it comes to jobs? And that's very a very scary reality that I don't think people have started taking seriously yet.
1: Not at all. And I mean, you know, I worked retail in college. You know, I worked at the Gap, you know, late at night because I took classes during the day. And I also worked at Starbucks mm-hmm. because those were the jobs that I could balance my school schedule with my work schedule. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I remember how pivotal it was for me. Like, I didn't have parents that paid for me to go to school. So, I always needed to have money to pay for my basic expenses outside of my tuition. So I think about how those kinds of jobs are going to go away, but then there's still opportunity, right? You have all these great online platforms that allow you to make money. You know, obviously you could Uber if, if that's what you choose to do. You can become a Postmate. I think it's changing. Um, but again, you know, if you don't have access to those technologies or you don't know how to use them, um, you don't know how to work them in your favor, then I, you're going to be left out in a drastic way. And I don't think that our, our our legislation and our policymakers really, really understand the significance of how work is going to change. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not to paint a doom and gloom picture. I just don't feel like we're asking enough critical questions and building enough solutions at the rate in which we are, you know, creating
0: new industries. Right. And I completely agree. So I want to touch back on to your industry and what you were doing. So one thing you mentioned before is like eight months, for eight months, you were doing everything yourself. And obviously you had yeah, input girl. from people who were helping you because eight months is a long time, girl. <laughs> so oh, yeah. how, what did oh, you yeah. learn during those eight months? Did you learn basically every part of business? Or I guess let's elaborate about more about what you learned during that process.
1: Oh, wow. Like, what didn't I learn? Um, I learned that I am definitely not a designer. I am a writer <laughs> through and through. <laughs> that is my artistic lens. Like, I am, an I am definitely a writer. So it was a struggle to really understand and see like how people were engaging with the, with the, with the newsletter. Um, I think, I think just, just changing the design, you know, changed the experience for readers um and yeah i mean you learn a, you have a crash course in in business in general you know when whenever you start something um and you know even though i had worked for other companies you know when you start your own thing like you're learning a lot for the first time you know from your accounting software to just how do you create a great company culture and that was one thing that i thought about even as as i got started was how do i create A stellar environment that people would actually want to work with me on this Um, and being very careful and cognizant of, you know, when I'm ready to bring on people, like what kind of work environment am am I providing, even though we're digital, right? So most of my team, they're remote, but that also means that I have to be very organized. So early on, I started creating guides, guides to how we post, guides to um, our, our philosophies around, you know, our leadership in this space. You know guides around you know just future products that we want to create and like what our ethos is behind those things so you know i always continue to read things like the harvard business review um Mattermark daily there's a couple of other really awesome resources that just provide information for like ceos on leadership and culture and so those are the things that i want to say i probably grew and learned the most at. um And when it came to just like straight guerrilla marketing, it was like, you know, Uber really taught me a lot around just go hustle, get it done, you know, get out there, tell people about your product, you know, don't be afraid to introduce yourself, don't be afraid to ask for what you want and what you need um, and negotiate, you know, like a white man. Um, so, so those, those principles, I think, you know, I, I was able to take a lot from my, my prior experiences, but that leadership and culture thing, it's important. And so for me, it was like, I want to establish, you know, excellence. I want, I want excellence in the way that we talk about tech, what have you. I didn't want it to be fluffy. I didn't want it to just be a profile piece of, oh, this person's in tech and they happen to be black. I think there are already people that serve those needs. I think for us, it was like, no. I want this to be at the caliber of a Wall Street Journal. You know, when we're ready to start doing our original reporting, you know, I want you know top notch writers and reporters. I don't want people to just see this as a black thing. I want them to see this as this is pivotal information about the industry that we should all be taking a look at. So, you know, establishing that early on and being very clear about the vision—that's the kind of hard work you have to do as as a as a founder. Um, that I don't think a lot of people understand. Like that that dictates. So much of your company, um, and and that's what I always go back to when, you know, when I'm uh, confused or when I am, you know, being offered opportunities that might be outside of, I think, what the original vision is. I have to go back to that and say, nope, this this is what we started out doing. You know, this is this is what the goal was, um, and I have to articulate that to every single person that I bring on board, be it a consultant or a contractor or an event planner. I have to let them know this is what. I created this for. This is the caliber, you know. And, and there's some people who, you know, early on they didn't fit that. They didn't fit that same ethos, and that was okay, um, you know. And so, you know, I chose not to work with them. But the folks that I have chosen, like they've continued to help kick us up a notch each and every time. And I think
0: something that people always forget is whoever you choose to be on your team. Remember, you're going to have to work with them intimately. They have to have the same passion as you and they have to see your vision so what are some ways that when you went about building your team i guess what are some ways or some tips maybe for people who are looking to build their team what are some things that you looked for and what are some things that so a lot of people might look at someone and realize okay i gotta let them off this team because they don't have the same mentality or the same characteristics i'm looking for so what are some tips like the overall building a team that you have for listeners
1: you know, honestly, what I'm finding thus far, and you know, granted, I'm a year into my business, so by, you know, by any, by no means do I have this completely perfect, but I think the way in which I have gotten opportunities in the past was because of based on evidence, based on evidence of my work. And so I always like to look at other people, um, it's just specifically if I'm looking at them for like a consulting opportunity, I want to see evidence of their work. I want to see who they've worked mm-hmm. with. I want to see that they're active on social media, that they are sharing tips, that they're expert in their space, that you know they're leading workshops or eBooks or what have you, so that I can see like this is the caliber in which you know I'm working with this particular person. Um, you know, and then even when you're looking at interns, um, look at follow up. You know, there's there's tons of young folks who reach out to me and sent me their resume, and I may ask mm-hmm. them you know to be more clear, like if, especially if they're not clear in an email. Um, you know, sometimes you'll look at, you You have to look at and assess and say, okay, does this person have potential? But if they're an individual that hasn't followed back up with you, you know, after a week, you know, because I, sometimes I just, I miss email, um, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you, you really don't want this that bad. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's perfectly okay. But, you know, when I, when I, when Tyler and I, my editor, when we have our weekly meetings, You know, she comes to the table with sort of not just, okay, like, here are the things that I'm going to accomplish this week. But she comes to the table with new insights and suggestions. You know, right off the bat, she's like, this is what we can be doing better. This is, you know, where I think that we could really be um, improving in our language. You know, she always comes with it. She's bringing metrics and numbers. Um, So I like to work with really smart people that are passionate. And they're passionate outside of the plug. They have passions and talents and skills. Um, that you know that are you know kind of ancillary to the work that I'm doing, but I know that you know they're going to come with it and they're going to bring a different perspective. Um, and quite honestly, most of the people that I work with now have asked to work with me. Um, Tyler early on was someone that asked to work with me. My videographer is someone that reached out to me on Twitter, um, you know, that asked to work with me, and we've just continued to build. Um, but again, that was also based off of I, I see them out here in these streets,
0: you know, they're
1: out here in these streets <laughs> doing their thing. And I see it, right. so, you know, chances are, like, this is going to be a good a good relationship.
0: A good thing that you mentioned is they asked you. Yes, you did follow up and look into them a little bit, you know, a little investigation. But people have to realize if you don't ask, who's going to know that that's what you want? These people asked you to work for, with you and look at where it's led them to now. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Asking is always, like, my big thing because in – Our community, a lot of the times we're afraid to ask, but asking is what gets you to that next level because you can't do everything alone. Not at all. So I know before you mentioned you, during your eight-month discovery kind of process, you discover you are a writer. That is what you like. You don't want to be a designer. But I will say the first time I saw you in person, you actually were hosting the Save the Black Tech ecosystem here in Chicago with Black Tech Mecca. So do you feel like speaking and doing speaking engagements? Because I know you've added that component to the plug with Black Tech Friday. Is that something that you're looking to do more so in the future? Absolutely. And
1: it's funny because those are definitely the muscles that I had to, uh, to continue to add um, and the muscles that you have to continue to stretch. I I do enjoy you know moderating panels and you know just as a journalist I, it's really just an extension of me being able to interview people and get to know what's happening within the industry. Um, I've had the pleasure of 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 interviewing Steve Case who founded AOL, um, co-founded AOL, excuse me, you know Damon John of um, ABC Shark Tank, and some of these opportunities came as a result of. You know, being a tech journalist, and you know, folks reaching out and saying, "Hey, you know, we love your your viewpoint. We love the way that you write about this topic. Would you like to come out um, and and you know, have this opportunity?" Um, you know, the state of the Black tech ecosystem was such an incredible um, was such an incredible experience, and you know, part of the reason why you know I I got the opportunity to host that particular event was you know, based on meeting you know their team uh, when I first moved to Charlotte. Um, But then also because I, within the plug, I was always talking about data, the need for black data scientists, the need for analysis on what's going on in the ecosystem as it relates to black, um, to black people. And so those kinds of things were just very, very natural. Um, And then as we've been getting into like the Black Tech Friday updates, which I do the video every Friday on Instagram at underscore the plug daily, um, the plug daily, you know, those Videos were really just the need of. We're a very visual and video driven society, right? And so mm-hmm. we're, we're thriving off of these sort of tutorials and know hows. And, you know, folks aren't like, I don't, I haven't owned a TV in five years. So most of my news I get through my newsletters and through my Google Home and, you know, through podcasts and the apps, the news apps that I subscribe to. So it just made sense to say, okay, you know, some folks will never subscribe to the newsletter. And that's totally fine. But for the people that follow us on our social media channels, they could, you know, they'll, they'll they'd be willing to listen to a 60 second update recap of what happened in Black tech news. And so um, we've been experimenting that. Um, my choreographer, um, Corey McDonald and I have for the last, Four weeks and it has just been tremendous, um, and it's been an exercise in creativity for me um, as I've been working with with Corey to to really pull together, um, you know, something polished and fun, but that is also very reverential to um, to what's going on in Black Tech News, and it's, it's an exciting project. I'm 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 really loving the videos.
0: So yeah. Well, so in the future, what do you see the future being for the plug and for Black Tech Fridays? Well, I would love for
1: Black Tech Fridays to be even bigger. Right now, we're in the 60-second sort of, you know, Instagram, video, social media space. I'd like to see it grow and build. I'd like to see it be a news update just as significant as Bloomberg. Um, And, you know, us having like our own space to provide these interviews with, you know, top, you know, top folks in tech that happen to be people of color. Um, And then in terms of the plug, I mean, we're just going to be walking into some really great original content. So it's a, it's really an awesome time to be subscribing right now because we're really building up our writing team. um, And, and they're, they're reporting to, to highlight some folks that, you know, we know of that I don't think the world has been introduced to yet. And so we're going to just continue to provide, you know, visibility for folks. Um, and so it's a good time to just, you know, to be to be on board with us um, as we continue to grow and to, to roll things out.
0: Yes. And Sherelle, to wrap up our conversation, let everyone know where they can find you and where they can find the plug. Absolutely. I am at
1: Sherelle underscore Dorsey at um, on Twitter as well as Instagram and that Sherelle with uh, an S and H and E, two R's, E's and two L's. I have a long name. <laughs> and then The Plug, you can find us on the, at theplugdaily.com. And there you can catch some of our old newsletters. You can learn more about us. You can sign up for the newsletter, you can stay tuned for events, um, and it's just a, it's a great community that's being built. So um, So hopefully everyone takes the time to check us out.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope everyone learned quite a few lessons and got some gems during our conversation. And thank you so much. Thank you. I had a great time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.